You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. I'm Chance Ritchie, and this is the Business Hour. We have a great show for you today, and we have a fantastic guest. Charlie Daniel is an automotive industry veteran of 30-plus years. He's run large, multi-rooftop dealer groups and is currently the CEO of Dealer Point and Mobility, a vehicle subscription company. Uh, today, we're going to talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the entire automotive value chain, and we'll try and shed some light on how this will affect the broader economy. But first, our top stories from the week. Jobless claims were up 3.8 million applications, and a total of 12.4% of the workforce is now covered by unemployment benefits. That's uh, just a, a huge number not seen uh, really since the, the Depression. So, so huge numbers there. The Dow Jones Industrials actually finished April up uh, by 11%. This is the biggest monthly percentage gain since 1987. And we're starting to see many parts of the country reopen, including Georgia, Florida, Texas. And then several governors have let stay-at-home orders expire. So hopefully uh, this will have a positive effect on the economy. We'll start to see some of these jobless numbers come down, start to see the stock market continue to go up and have this economy recovery. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, Charlie, welcome to the show. As I've mentioned, you've been in the automotive business a long time. Uh, tell us a little bit about your automotive journey. Uh, thank you, Chance, for uh, looking to be a part of the show. Um, like you said, I've, I've been in the automotive industry for a little, little over 30 years now. And, uh, I mean, the majority of us it, with, with tenure this long joined the automotive industry for the love of vehicles. Um, mine was a little bit different. I had a passion to help people. So when I started in the automotive business, it was a fixed operations, the service side. And, you know, I've really just been blessed in my career of been having great mentors. And um, as the years progressed, I got into variable operations, which is sales, finance, store operations, and eventually became the corporate operations director for one of the top 100 dealer groups in the country. Um, focusing always on customer satisfaction, though, is, is giving me the ability to be able to focus on a lot of uh, initiatives for OEMs for customer satisfaction and retention, and you know, being always uh, you know on the fast pace of technology. I've worked for some of the largest technology companies in the automotive industry as well, and it's enabled me to be able to visit thousands of dealerships over my career and watch how they do business and what their processes are and how it differs by region by region. So given your background in the industry, Charlie, you know, the shutdown due to COVID-19 has created a huge strain on the industry. What effects are you starting to see? Uh, it's, it's, it's mixed emotions. Um, I mean, you see a lot of uh, optimism from the automotive dealerships. Um, you see a lot of optimism from, from consumers. Um, however, uh, I, I don't think the industry has ever seen... Uh, an event like this pandemic. Um, historically, in the past, we've the automotive industry has always been able to recover from from catastrophes. You know, tornadoes, hurricanes, hailstorms. You know, even you know the two thousand eight you know you know you know crash. 
Uh, I mean, it's historically, it's always found the way. Um, however, this time seems a little bit different. Um, in, in today's crisis has a short-term effect as well as a long-term effect that, that may reshape the whole entire industry. Um, we're, seeing, we're seeing automotive dealerships focusing towards digital retailing technology to be able to communicate with their customers virtually. Um, it's, it's not a new technology that's, um, that's just now being you know, developed. It's been out for many of years, but it's just had a slow adoption rate from the dealers. Um, but this pandemic has fast-tracked the willingness to, of dealers to really embrace this technology and, and turn it into a virtual community um, for, you know, for the consumers. So um, how, how this you know, COVID-19 pandemic affects the future, that's one that I think we're all watching very closely. Well, you know, I guess we're seeing it up and down the supply chain. Uh, you know, I live outside of Detroit. Um, all of the, the unions sort of refuse to go back to work, even though even when the governor's uh, stay-at-home order expires, I believe, on the 15th of May. So, you know, most plants aren't firing back up. Uh, I suspect that automotive dealerships will start to see more traffic once the stay-at-home order expires but you know frankly the with the factories being closed i'm not sure how that's going to affect them and then you know there's just the lingering hangover of the economic effect you know 12.4 percent of people are out of work i think the number is more like 17 percent in michigan um you know that's got to have a huge effect and and maybe to get some indication of of how the automotive industry is going to be affected you know why don't you kind of give folks some of the highlights from the previous recession that we had back in 0809 and some of the effects that had on the industry well, it, it, I mean, the previous effects, and, and, and by the way, James, you're correct, I, I don't know, and I don't think um, any predictive models can can foretell what actually is going to happen once these um, stay-at-home orders are lifted. Are consumers going to be wanting to go out um, and, and resume like usual? Um, these are the questions that I think everyone in every industry is, is asking. Um, what I see different with this pandemic uh, of today versus, you know, like the, you know, the, the crisis in 2008 was it, it, 2008 was financial. And, I mean, it, it was a little bit easier to predict. Um, you know, the lenders had a little bit more flexibility. They were able to go a little bit deeper into financing to be able to provide uh, consumers the ability to purchase vehicles. Um, it, it, it slowed down um, the, the SAR um, you know, for, for vehicle sales. However, it, it bounced back quite rapidly. Um, it, and actually, a lot will say that it reset the bar um, to the point of where that it actually grew um, faster than what it was, was predicted after 2008. Um, you know, the, clash for, the cash for clunkers, um, you know, back in that time was, well, was again, uh, another stimulus from the government that uh, seemed to help. Um, but, it, but again, it was just, um, it, it, these are just pieces of the puzzle that were just so much easier to be able to, you know, recover from than a 
pandemic in this state where the, it's not only financial, it's how we manage day-to-day operations. Um, businesses are affected on how they're changing the processes. Um, and I think the trickle effect is going to play a huge change in the landscape in, in the country in itself. The way we used to do business is not going to be the same when we come out of this. And um, a lot of it's going to be for the good. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of changes that are, are going to be detrimental to a lot of companies. Yeah, no, I, I think you were already starting, and, and, you know, feel free to disagree with me, but I think you were already starting to see an unwillingness for consumers to go into the showrooms. I mean, you're seeing companies like Carvana, Broom, uh, others out there that are bringing the showroom to your front door, and, and people didn't necessarily want to go to an automotive dealership. I think, you know, in my mind, the pandemic is going to compound that issue further, and you're going to have even less people wanting to go climb into multiple cars, wanting to go to a dealership where there's, you know, a lot of sales folks and other uh, shoppers around. So, and from, you know, hey, this, this bricks-and-mortar experience to more of a digital experience. You're, you're exactly correct. And this started way before this pandemic. Uh, consumers in, in, in the, millennial, uh, the millennials versus uh, the baby boomers, um, the baby boomers always wanted to touch, feel, and, and, and smell the vehicle before they bought it. Um, the new generations, they don't place as much um, value on vehicle ownership as, as the, the older generation. Um, they, use, they use vehicles, you know, basically for transportation. And they did not want to have the confrontations with consolidated dealerships. And everybody has a stigma uh, around the automotive industry for negotiations and how long it takes. And, and uh, I mean, the, the, the Carvanas and um, the Verms of the world basically uh, were already way ahead of the curve by providing the consumers the ability to shop online and these one-price, you know, one price negotiations where the, the consumers already knew that they were getting the best price and the vehicles being delivered straight to them with, with little to no hassle. So um, this started, like I said, way before the pandemic. This has only hastened um, everyone to adopt this mentality. Well, well, let me ask you this. Are there tools? We know, we know about Corbana. We know about Broom. Are there tools out there available to dealers so that they can replicate that experience? Because I think what you're seeing in some of these states that have recently relaxed the stay-at-home orders is an unwillingness by the consumer to go to restaurants, to go to movie theaters. I, I read somewhere that in South Carolina, which I think was one of the first states to relax the guidelines, just like nobody showed up. And so you had a lot of restaurants and and storefronts choosing not to reopen, not because of stay-at-home orders, but because there wasn't the foot traffic to justify them opening. So do these dealers have tools available to them so that if they need to, they can transition from the dealership experience to the digital delivery experience? They, they do have the tools. Um, I mean, the tools have been available for years. However, the 
the process changes that are required to do uh, to make conversion is is a, is a longer is, is it's a longer you know, you know process. Uh, it's not just a plug and play. Um, you know, technology. Everybody considers technology as being the save all for everything, but uh, to be able to understand how the technology works, to make sure that everything leads together, and that uh, we stay within compliance of the federal and state governments um, when it comes down to uh, vehicle sales, those are where that uh, it's a little bit different. Um, we have to make sure that we're we're hitting all the, t- the all the touch points that we're providing the consumer a seamless experience that is stays within compliance of, of the law. And it's, it's just a longer learning curve for dealers that have not already started to adopt this process. So, um, I, I think to touch on that, Charlie, and, and in some cases, if there's actual legal concerns with delivering a vehicle, to a customer's front door. I mean, in many cases, that final paperwork has to be signed in the dealership for the con- for the contract to be binding. Is that is that a true statement? Well, it, it, it's not necessarily that it has to be uh, signed inside the dealership. Is many documents require wet ink. Um, they require an actual signature, not not a new signature. Um, many states have. Have started to change and, and adopt to a digital version. However, there's there's still many forms that require a hand signature, and how to be able to provide that to a consumer in, in a virtual world at a delivery point. Um, that that's that's an obstacle that I mean we're, we're going to have to be faced with, and and we're going to have to overcome somehow or another. But it it also falls back on the state legislations to be able to pass laws to be able to allow. Um, virtual, you know, virtual sign. No, that makes sense. Well, well, let's take our first break. David, we'll send it over to you, take a break, and then we'll come back with Charlie Daniel and talk more about the COVID-19 effect on the automotive industry. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. I'm Chance Ritchie. This is the Business Hour. Our guest today, Charlie Daniel. Charlie is a 30-year-plus veteran of the automotive industry, and we're really talking today about the effects of of COVID-19 and the pandemic 
on the entire sort of automotive value chain. And last segment, we, we really spent a lot of time talking about the effect on automotive dealerships, you know, and, and we'll touch on some more of that later. But, Charlie, you know, you're most familiar, I know, with the effect on dealers. Uh, but how in trouble are the automakers themselves, and how difficult is it going to be for them to recover from what many are now predicting as a 12 million vehicle SAR as opposed to the 17 million everybody was expecting for 2020? It's, it's definitely going to change the landscape. Um, but the automakers will, will, I mean, look, they're going to be focused on moving metal. Um, and they're going to have to make, they're going to have to ramp up production. Many have changed their production sites over to, to help with, uh, PPPs and, um, it, 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 I mean, that, that's, that's a great thing. However, when everything is lifted and we get back to doing business, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of vehicles on the ground. Um, there's a lot of inventory on the ground. And those vehicles need to be, uh, need to be moved. And so you're going to see the automate, automotive makers, you know, reduce production, um, which will be reducing jobs. Um, some, a lot of companies will, still keep employees on furlough, which really will not help the economy whatsoever, but they will all be focused on moving the metal that they have on the ground. You will see massive incentives. Um, we've already seen several that are they're extending terms out to 84 months for 0%, which, which sounds great. Uh, I mean, for the average consumer, they go, wow, this is free money for, for seven years. I mean, I mean what, what could be any better? Um, there's, there's, on the outside looking in, you know, as a consumer, you would think this is, this is fantastic for the economy, it's fantastic for the consumer as well as the dealership. However, the long-term effect is, is what we mostly look at. And these types of stimuluses from the manufacturers will affect the, lo- the, the long-term, you know, buying habits of the consumer. So, um, can consider the life cycle of an ownership, you know, of a vehicle is 38 months. You know, if you have an 84 month, you know, term, even at 0% interest, organically the vehicle depreciate, will depreciate faster than the payments will offset. So when you go to trade that vehicle in, now you're going to be upside down in the vehicle. You have the option to a pay that pay the difference of that negative equity off, or roll it into the new new vehicle. You know, if you roll it into the new vehicle, eventually what happens is is your payment becomes much higher, and you're not able to drive what you're equally used to driving. So, the habits of you know it, we're convention we're always reinventing the wheel, or you know almost duplicating ourselves. We've done this many, many times before, and we've seen the cause and effects that happen well, in the industry when these come out. Well, it seems like it's just kicking the can down the road, right? I mean, if you're, you know, if you're trying to, to accelerate SAR for the remainder of 2020 with these huge incentives, you're putting people in cars for seven years you know they can't get out of in the normal sort of 36 to to 45 month time frame, then, you know, that's going to have a lasting effect on the out years and folks ability to, to buy that new car, um, when they, when they really want to, because of that huge negative equity hit that you're talking about. 
And exactly, you're exactly correct. I mean, the the, the OEMs, the automakers, are worried about today. They're not uh, they're not focusing on three to four years from now. Until that actually hits, they're going to push and drive these um, automotive dealers. You know. The margin compressions within inside the dealerships today, you know, prior to the pandemic, were, were, were historic. Uh, I mean, there was no money being made on any vehicles being sold, and and now they're now they're going to be incentivized to, to sell more vehicles at, at a loss. Um, you know, the trade the vehicles that they have on the ground are going to be worth less. Um, you're going to see the, the, the trickle effect is just going to be enormous if we don't pay attention to the cause and effect of what they're trying to accomplish. Now, that's interesting that you say that because we know that dealers barely make any money on new vehicle sales. I mean, there's hood money that the manufacturers place on cars so that, you know, dealers can say they're selling the vehicle at invoice prices. But by and large, the dealer is making their money on the service department and parts and hopefully breaking even on new vehicle sales, and then they're making a considerable amount of money in the used vehicles. So, you know, if they take significant losses on those new cars, it's going to be very difficult for them to make that back up in their bread and butter, which are used cars, especially whenever we're seeing used car values plummet uh, as a result of, of depreciation. Uh, you know, you, you were talking to me about some of the statistics within the auctions and there's just no auction activity right now. Nobody is buying these cars at any price, and the values are suffering. So now you have this huge disconnect between the pricing of a new vehicle and the pricing of a used vehicle that's only going to exacerbate the issue of manufacturers being able to push those new vehicles through their dealer network. Well, exactly. So, I mean, if, I mean to take, for instance, if you have a, a two- or three-year-old vehicle, um, when you come to trade that in on that 84 months at 0%, um, that vehicle is going to be nowhere near worth the, the, the value it was, you know, six to eight months ago. Um, so what you thought was it was a great deal is really not going to be as, as good as what you think because the value is of your vehicle, current vehicle is, is depreciated. Um, which also the vehicles that are on the dealership's inventory is depreciating day by day. So every day that we're not back to normal, every day that people are not buying vehicles, these vehicles are depreciating. And a lot of these dealerships, you know, that's their bread and butter. And uh, I mean, floor planning for these for these vehicles are are true. Uh, I mean, it's it's an absolute that has to be paid, and a lot of dealerships are defaulting just simply because they they can't afford it. Um, and it really concerns me about the smaller um, to mid-sized dealerships that maybe only have one or two, um, you know, one or two rooftops. I mean, the loss in the loss in floor plan alone, or the loss in in equity of the vehicles that they have in inventory can really just drive the nail in the coffin. Right. And, and, and just to give you a quick example of this, you know, the effect of an 84-month 0% loan, um, you know, so let's look at three years out. So in three years, on a $30,000 
vehicle, you're going to have a balance due of about $23,900. you are going to have paid three of the seven years uh, off, so you know you're you're not going to be anywhere close. That car is going to be worth around fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars after after three years, and you know you're going to have a delta of six seven thousand dollars that nobody is going to write that check uh, to pay out the difference just to go get into a three year newer vehicle. I mean, and that's going to present a huge problem for dealers, a huge problem for manufacturers. And then you know you, you start thinking about the other issues that the, the automakers have. As we start to ramp up here, I mean, it's a huge momentum swing to get these suppliers, to get the automotive supply chain back up and running, just so that the automakers can then begin to produce the vehicles that the dealerships are ultimately going to need. Now, I don't think anybody's really talking about that, but that's not just a, a, a switch you can flip on and off at any given time. Well, and also you have to you have to take into consideration too the uh, the country right now is is really made a, a shift towards buying U.S. products. So um, even though that um, let's take the top three you know automakers you know Ford, GM you know um, those the majority of the vehicles yes are made here in the United States, but a lot of components within five of those vehicles are made from overseas. And uh, you're going to see a, a, a high demand from these automakers, you know, to find U.S. companies to provide these components that, to, to make these vehicles. Um, I, I think the I think the, uh, the the consumer of the United States is going to demand it. Um, I mean, how that's going to affect. Um, you know, the, the the cost of these vehicles, that's yet to be seen. But uh, I, I I think you're going to see a huge pendulum shift towards um, new new product, uh, products being made here in the United States that were, you know, being built over overseas, um, which is going to be great for the recovery of the economy. However, I mean, there's going to be a ramp-up time there that... I, I mean, how long it's going to take? Who knows? I mean, you're right. You can't just turn the switch and and, and everything go back to normal. Well, and, and you're starting to see some of the, you know, some of the imported uh, uh, manufacturers. You know, Toyota builds trucks in Texas. Uh, BMW builds a lot of cars in South Carolina. Nissan has factories all over the United States. But you're right. I mean, there is still uh, a large percentage of vehicles that you know come from come from outside the United States and we'll see you know how consumers receive those vehicles uh, going forward when people are focused on buying in America and specifically making sure that their their supply chain is not tied to a country that it, you know may have a pandemic that may have some issue and they're not able to get their products well exactly and, and uh, this again this falls back to the the, the question at hand what are the consumers' demands going to be once, uh, let's say, you know, six months after this pandemic um, and we're on a recovery phase? Um, let's take out the risk of, of a, another, you know, relapse into the pandemic or another potential shutdown, you know, or stay-at-home orders because of, of a flare-up. All right. um, we take all that out of consideration and we're just recovering I, I, I still have a hard time, and this is just my opinion, but I don't think the landscape of the economy is going to be 
the same. Um, I mean, consumers are, are finding other ways. Um, we're telecommuting, uh, tele, uh, telecommunications, and, and I mean Zoom, and, and I mean go to meetings, and everything else is now taking place. Where that I mean, companies are able to save you know millions of dollars in travel and expense. But when they do that, it, it also affects so many other parts of the economy. Um, hotels, restaurants, travel, everything is going to be affected by how every company adapts to the new life. No, that's, that's, that's a great point. And I think we'll, we'll see, you know, will people get back to their normal travel schedule or is this the new norm? Have companies said, hey, look, it's just as easy as for us to do a Zoom meeting as it is to send a salesperson halfway across the country to a sales meeting. But, you know, before we go to break, I want to ask you one quick question. So in the last downturn in 0809, we saw the automakers contract the number of dealerships out there. I, I think we saw a lot of GM dealers go away. We certainly saw a lot of uh, Chrysler dealerships go away at the time. Uh, do you think the automakers will use COVID-19 as justification for con- further contracting that dealer network, and, and if you and specifically, are there any manufacturers out there that you think will will take this philosophy? I, I don't think they will utilize the the COVID pandemic to, to do this. However, I think it will organically do it itself. Um, you're going to you're going to lose dealer body uh, with inside the uh, with inside the United States. Will they be replaced? That will be the question. Um, you know, the, the automotive makers could very easily say as they close, they will just close the point instead of clo- instead of you know putting it up for sale or, or for auction. So um, I think organically we'll see a um, depreciation of. of of, uh, of the rooftops uh, on the automotive dealerships, Break. Um, which, again, it affects the economy in so many different ways. Well, let's, uh, with that, Charlie, let's go to a break. David, we'll turn it back over to you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. 
Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Welcome to America's Web Radio. I'm Chance Ritchie, and this is the Business Hour. Prior to the break, we were talking about how the effects of COVID-19 on the automotive industry will have an organic effect on contracting the number of dealerships that are out there. And, Charlie, you know, specifically, do you think this, this natural contraction in the number of automotive dealers that will happen, will that benefit the smaller dealers, or will that more often than not benefit the large dealer groups, the Penske's, the Group 1's, uh, Auto Nations, folks like that? I, I, don't, I don't believe it benefits anyone, to be honest with you, but um, I mean, if anyone comes out of this um, in a little bit better situation, it's going to be the large dealer groups. Um, over the past several years, we've already seen a lot of uh, family-owned um, you know, franchise single-point stores uh, being absorbed by these large groups. Um, and and I, I think this will only just, uh, you know, further that, um, you know, that movement. Um, you know, it, what concerns me the most is I, I, I don't think people realize how much these automotive dealerships mean to um, their local communities. Uh, I mean, in some parts, I mean, a single point automotive dealership can can produce up to thirty percent of the revenue in a community. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it's not it's not just the jobs. It's the it, it's the taxes. It's the it's the charities that these independent dealerships or or franchise dealerships, you know, participate in. Uh, and a lot is done with with never being publicly announced um i mean i in through my 30 years i've never met a, a a dealer group or a dealership that did not contribute back into their community in some form or fashion in large ways um i mean from from uh, giving vehicles to you know uh, to charity events, to food banks, to to all of these, you know, charities that are local, they their local communities depend on those automotive dealers, and I mean, with seeing them get depleted, it is going to be something that is going to be hard to overcome. No, that's a great point. In many of these uh, small towns across the country i'm from a small town and in many cases the automotive dealership the franchise dealer in that town is the biggest business i know in brady texas uh my wife and i have a ranch outside brady spend a considerable considerable amount of time there uh you know the the chevy dealership is the biggest business in town so if that goes away that's going to have a significant negative effect on the local economy there, just like we've seen 
uh, in those small towns with some of those smaller mom-and-pop shops going away when a Walmart moves in or something along those lines. So so we'll, we'll have to see, you know, what effect that has. But, you know, we've talked about the effects on the franchise dealers, Charlie, but will the small independent used dealerships, will they be able to survive in this new environment? Um, some will. Um, they, they have a little bit different of a setup than a franchise dealer. Um, they don't have the overhead uh, for one. Um, you know, these large brick and mortar million dollar fran- uh, you know, you know, dealerships because there's no franchise to demand them. Um, so a lot of them can work out of smaller, you know, locations or uh, a little bit more of an outskirt. However, they also do not have the facilities to be able to provide the services that drive the revenue. So, i.e., the service departments and, you know, in the parts departments and things like that, that, uh, I mean, are really where the franchise dealerships make their, make their revenue. Um, they're going to be faced with higher floor plan rates. Uh, they're going to be faced with, you know, less traffic. Um, in, in the independent franchise dealerships, unlike, like and unlike the, the, the small franchise dealerships, play a huge role in the economy or in the local economy. Um, they provide a service for, for consumers that may be credit challenged or they may uh, you know, have circumstances to where that they're not able to obtain the financing that, you know, for, for these you know, more expensive vehicles. And these independents play a huge role in providing transportation for these, you know, for, for these consumers in the market. And I mean, losing those um, can, can, can again play a huge part in, in the economy. But my my fear is is we're going to see more uh, defaults from the independents than we will see from the from the franchises. Yeah, and I think it's the perfect storm for that to happen, right? There'll be less foot traffic into those independent dealerships, and now their financing rates have gone up. They're probably not going to finance as much against the inventory as they did previously, and, and it's going to be difficult for an independent dealer to come up with you know 20% uh, equity in every vehicle that they want to put on their floor plan. And, and for those listeners out there that don't understand what a vehicle floor plan is, uh, when you see all the cars on a dealer's lot, they typically don't own those cars outright. They typically finance them under what's called a floor plan arrangement, where a bank allows them to buy and sell vehicles. Um, and, and up until the pandemic, we typically saw that, that a lot of these finance companies would loan 100% of the Blue Book value or, or some other value um, against that vehicle. And so the dealer really had no out-of-pocket cost except for interest to carry that inventory. And I think what Charlie touched on earlier is even at the franchise level and definitely at the independent dealer level, you're going to start to see dealers have to come up with money out-of-pocket uh, to pay for a portion of that vehicle that's sitting on their lot. Uh, and, and you're exactly correct. And, and, and that's even if they can find uh, – the floor plan, you know, to, to, to be able to buy the vehicles. Uh, currently, right now, uh, I mean, th- there's no new floor plans being written. So, uh, I mean, with, with these auctions that are, are being flooded with all this inventory that is sitting there just waiting, um, dealers don't have the floor plan to be able to go out and buy them. So, yes. it's, 
I mean, it's just such a trickle effect in the automotive industry. The, the, the automotive industry plays such an intricate part in the, in the United States economy because there's so many tentacles that, that, that reach into so many different you know, uh, aspects of the economy. And uh, it's just hard to fathom um, what, what it's going to look like afterwards. Well, I think you. I think you and I were having a discussion, and you said thirty-seven percent of the economy is dependent on the automotive industry, all things considered. And and you know, to connect the dots with the troubles that these independent dealers are going to have, you know, if they can't have a floor plan, if they can't carry these vehicles on floor plan, they either have to sell them, which nobody's buying a car right now, or they have to take them to auction. When they take those cars to auction, there's obviously more supply than there is demand, and we're seeing that now. And the the prices, the wholesale prices of these vehicles are plummeting. And so what that does is now that has a effect on the new car sales because, you know, when there's this huge delta between the cost of a new car and the cost of a used car, you know, people's behavior changes and they go buy a used vehicle. I mean, every year there's about, you know, up in for the last three years, there's been about 17 million new vehicles sold and about 38 to 39 used vehicles sold across the country. So if you skew those numbers towards the used vehicle because of the downward pressure on those prices, you know, that rolls uphill to the manufacturers, to the parts suppliers, uh, everyone. Well, and it does. And, and uh, I, I, it's, the, more we, the more we start unfolding the banana is the more we start worrying about what the bottom of the banana looks like, which is a couple of years from now. Um, I mean, I, I think a, a quick recovery is in a shot in the arm is going to be great. Uh, I mean, consumers are going to go after this new uh, the, the, the incentives and, and not look at what uh, the repercussions are two or three years down the road. They're going to worry about that later. Um, however, I, I, I'm having a hard time um, understanding or grasping that we will go back to normal. Um, prior to the pandemic, we were already seeing consumers, you know, putting less um, less value on ownership of vehicles, um, i.e., the Ubers and Lyfts of the world. I mean, that they they came out, and um, I mean, we've already seen taxi services and rideshare services that were conventional being, you know, devastated by this this Uber and Lyft, you know, you know, uh, opportunities. Um, I, I don't know if, um, and I don't, I don't know, nor do I, can, can I see across the ball of, of consumers willing to go into a long-term commitment, um, knowing, not knowing what or if this will ever reoccur. Yeah, and, and, and I think we, we've, we've thrown out this number of a 17 million vehicle SAR over the past few years and how that accelerated after 08, 09 to the numbers that we're seeing now. But the, the sort of if you peek behind the curtain of that number, a large percentage and a growing percentage of that 17 million vehicle SAR has been fleet sales. And fleet sales are sales that, that occur to rental car companies, uh, folks that want to, you know, support Uber and Lyft drivers, things of that nature, and, and it's not the typical sale through a dealership to a consumer. So, you know, with SAR coming down like like they're anticipating, I expect that uh, fleet number to come up even more for the point you just made, Charlie, that people are just 
you know, they're not interested in owning that asset for the long term. So I think you're going to see fleet sales come up even more, and you're going to see the typical sale to the consumer come down even further. Well, and also taking consideration, I mean, let's just use a scenario for an average dealership right now. They have a two-year-old uh, vehicle sitting on the lot with less than 20,000 miles on it. And that vehicle, you know, right. in January, was it could have been, let's just use a number, say $20,000 in, in value. Um, today, that vehicle is probably close to fifteen to $16,000. Well, in most cases, those dealerships paid anywhere between eighteen to nineteen five, you know, for for, for that vehicle, um, and then they 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 sent it through the shop. They had it reconditioned. They had it cleaned up. They've been paying they've been paying four plan interest rate on it. So the cost of this vehicle continues to grow, yet the value of the vehicle continues to drop. So even if they're able to sell it at this kind of rate, they're still losing thousands of dollars, you know, for, for every vehicle that's sitting on the lot. Um, this is what gives a lot of uh, analysts in, in, in the industry heartburn, um, because we can't, uh, we can't really pinpoint what the loss is going to be um, when a dealership goes underwater, which basically means the vehicles, you know, that are on their inventory are worth less than what they owe. Um, the banks can call them out. And if that happens, there's going to be no recovery for them. Um, well, and let's hope the banks will work with them because there's no good outlet for the banks either. I mean, the banks are no, ultimately going no, to take not. those cars to the auctions, and it's just going to exacerbate the problem even further. So hopefully these banks, these floor plan providers, are willing to work with their dealers so that we don't have this sort of nuclear scenario. So let's go to our final break. When we come back, we're going to talk about other segments of retail automotive that are getting hurt and then ones that are set to prosper. Back to you, Seasons David. greetings. I'm Patty LeVan, owner of Multiline Mortgage Services, Inc. Let's talk about reverse mortgages for seniors 62 and older. Reverse mortgages were designed to free up money that seniors can use at their discretion in retirement. Let us help you determine if this program is right for you. We'll help you choose the right lender and walk you through the loan process. Multiline Mortgage Services, your way home. Call us at 941-201-9111 or check out our website at multilinemortgage.com. Company founded by Joseph powers nmls 158-989 license in georgia and florida the docs for patient care foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor patient relationship get a pen and paper write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org that's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org go to our site and please make a generous tax deductible donation and join the fight today thank you you're listening to america's web radio on the america's broadcast network.com thank you for listening Welcome to America's Web Radio. I'm Chance Ritchie, and this is the Business Hour. We've been talking about the effect COVID-19 has had on the automotive industry, and we've talked about retail automotive dealerships. We've talked about the automakers. We've talked about, you know, several different facets of the automotive industry. But, Charlie, um, are there other segments of retail automotive 
that are getting hurt that maybe aren't getting mentioned. Uh, I don't think people really have a good understanding of how the auction network works. Uh, that's certainly getting getting hurt right now. Um, are there other service providers, other facets of the automotive industry that you see are feeling the pain? I think every segment of the automotive industry is being affected in some shape or form. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I mean, let's face it. I don't think there's anybody that hasn't been affected uh, by, by this pandemic. Um, I mean, currently there's there's this massive overflow of vehicles at auction houses due to the lack of demand of the consumers, um, the dealership's ability to be able to purchase them, and I mean, the, the stay-at-home orders have just exacerbated that um, that problem. Um, every day, those vehicles are on the ground. I mean, it's 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 costing money. Um, you know, technology-based companies are, are being affected as well. Um, you would you would think with the the push with the Zoom meetings and the digital retailing and and, and those sorts of um, you know uh, technology-based uh, platforms, you would see a lift. Um, but they're only a small part of of the infrastructure within inside the, te- uh, the technology and the automotive industry. Um, I mean, they're seeing, you know, a huge drop-offs in re- revenue. Um, you know, there's certain parts that are lifting, but, uh, I mean, we're still seeing furlough of employees. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier in the, in the segment that, um, I mean, the interest rate, I mean, or the unemployment rate continues to grow. Um, people are unable to get unemployment because they just can't get through. Um, it's. I mean, I mean, all the way down to you know the tire companies and I mean the the, the oil companies. Everybody is affected because basically we have stopped. Right. Um, you know, travel travel has stopped. So it, it, it's the, what I mentioned earlier about all the tentacles with inside the automotive industry. It, it really affects every aspect. So, I mean, the oil prices have, have, have plummeted. Um, I mean, I, I think I paid 98 cents a gallon the other day, um, which was just absolutely, uh, never, I haven't seen it in many, many years. Um, but there's just not anything being bought. No, and, that, and you know, I think, I think there probably are some winners out there in automotive. I mean, there's some new business models uh, that are out there right now. We see Carvana, we see Broom. You know, you're the CEO of Dealer Point and Mobility. Tell us a little bit about these companies and what services they provide dealers. And for full disclosure, I am an investor in Mobility along with Charlie. Um, but, you know, introduce people to those concepts and the new ways folks are acquiring a car. Well, I mean, you mentioned Carvana's and Vrooms, um, I mean, earlier in to be honest with you, they were struggling prior to the uh, to, to the pandemic. Um, you know, you know, during the pandemic and post pandemic, I, I think this has been a huge lift for them um, because it, it, the, the, the consumers that were questioning being able to purchase a vehicle online has has been forced into that you know into that segment, and they've realized how simple and easy it is. So I, that, that's what's making me have concerns about ever going back to, you know, traditional as a whole. Um, 
you know, Dillard Point Mobility, I mean, they, they have a common vision, even though they're two separate, you know, identities. Um, Dealer Point in itself is a warranty uh, ancillary product company. Um, we, we focus primarily on providing ancillary and warranty products for rideshare and subscription services. Um, mobility is, is, is one of the innovators of, of subscription services in, in, in the industry. Um, started a little over three, three years ago, and we've seen this uptick year after year after year of consumers focusing more towards the flexibility and the freedom of choice with inside owning, uh, owning vehicles. Um, the conventional pro- you know, products were focused around the luxury line, uh, where the customer would have this, you know, you know, monthly payment that was all inclusive, and they could flop in and out of the car as as they felt. Um, Mobility's uh, concept was a little bit different, enabling the dealership to be able to utilize the subscription platform to be able to offer consumers a monthly subscription that was all-inclusive, including warranties, insurance, you know, all the tax tags, titles. It's, it was basically, it's basically a one-payment, one you know, option. Instead of renting a car, you can, you, can rent, you can subscribe to the vehicle for a month, one month, two months, three months, four months. Uh, it's just a reoccurring, you know, um, cycle, and you're able to flip in and out of those vehicles as the demand is needed. So or, as you your, or, or as your situation changes. I mean, we're seeing a lot of people now that are probably, uh, you know, wondering how secure their jobs are. I, I, I can tell you my personal story. Back in 08, um, you know, I had two car payments, two small children, and, you know, if at that time I could have gotten out from under those, what were $1,000 worth of car payments, it would have made it a lot better for me. So I think subscri- vehicle subscription in particular gives people the flexibility uh, of, you know, controlling when and if they have a car payment. Hey, if I want a car in the summer because that's primarily when I'm out driving, doing things, then I'll subscribe to a vehicle in the summer. But you don't have this 72- or 84-month uh, gun to your head in the form of a, a big car payment. And I think that's the real benefit of vehicle subscription. Well, it is, and it gives you the flexibility because when you look at the price points, um, you know, there's always been this discussion that subscriptions is much more expensive than than uh, you know purchasing the vehicle. But you have to take into consideration the insurance, the maintenance, the wear and tear on the vehicle, the depreciation of the vehicle. All of those fall into play. And when you do the calculations over a period of time, if you own the vehicle for 35 to 42 months, your the payments are virtually almost identical. And it, it gives you the flexibility to, like you said, to be able to move in and out of a vehicle as your needs fit. Um, it does not tie you into a long-term commitment. Um, and it does have a tremendous amount of value to the dealerships. Um, it enables the dealerships, I mean, to be able to depreciate these vehicles that are normally sitting on the ground that um, if they took it to wholesale, to auction, or if they were to sell it, they would take massive losses. Um, they're able to write down the, uh, the, the cost of these vehicles on the subscription platform, which will save them a tremendous amount of money. 
Um, so it's a win-win for the consumers as well as for the dealers. And I, th- I think that's uh, we're going to start seeing a, a shift in the pendulum to be able to uh, repurpose the inventory that the dealerships currently have. Consumers are going to want the flexibility to go in and out of vehicles based on their need without having a long-term commitment. And the dealerships are going to definitely need the ability to be able to depreciate their inventory. So um, as as subscriptions has been slow to be adopted in, in the automotive industry, not by the consumers, but by the automotive dealers, we're going to start seeing more of that coming about because of the flexibility that it provides to the consumers, as well as the uh, as well as the value that it provides to the dealers. Um, over the past several years, I mean, there's never been a lack of uh, demand from the consumers. They've always wanted it. Um, you know, it's just been an adoption for the dealers. Uh, now with Uber and Lyft um, it being somewhat questionable going post pandemic. I, I see subscriptions playing a larger role. Um, consumers are not going to really want to hop in and out of an Uber that who knows has been in it, you know, right before them. Where that uh, in a subscription model, it gives them that same you know flexibility, you know, without commitment. No, that's a that's a great point. I can tell you for one, I will not be getting in any Ubers or Lyfts uh, for the foreseeable future. But you know, this the vehicle subscription has been a little slow uh, to gain a foothold, and and I think it is primarily because you know the lenders don't really understand it, the insurance companies don't really understand it. It's difficult for dealers who have always been in the business of just turning metal to understand the concept of holding on to a vehicle, cash flowing it for a longer period of time, and then still getting that retail sale at the end of when they pull it out of the subscription fleet. But I do think as dealers have to pay more down on these vehicles sitting on their lot, they're going to be a lot more open to solutions that will allow them to cash flow those vehicles and not make those payments every month and keep that capital tied up. So I do think vehicle subscription is going to be one of the winners uh, of the sort of new economy, the post-COVID-19 economy. And just like I think Carvana, Broom, uh, folks that have figured out the digital retailing experience, they're definitely going to be winners. Well, well, great talking to you today, Charlie. This has been a very interesting hour. Um, appreciate the time. And uh, you'll have to come back, and, and we'll see how this shakes out in the next year or so. My pleasure, as always, and I look forward to talking to you when this is all over and we can really see how this economy uh, uh, bounces back. And, 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 look, I mean, the one thing we do know is the United States always finds a way. So we will recover. We will get back. Um, we just have to be smart and safe. And um, let's not worry about the doom and gloom. Let's worry about being smart on how we recover. That's, that's exactly right. There's no more resilient country on earth than the United States of America. That's it for the Business Hour. Back to you, David. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.